So good evening and welcome to the 37th episode of the Endermind. Our guests today are Nightcat. Hi Nightcat. Hello. And Nathan Roth, aka Antiga. Thanks for having me back. And a very special guest, Freakling, uh, the famous map designer who is the star of the evening. And uh, I can't really make up any more uh, fancy titles. Hi, Freakling, how are you doing? Hello, you're out. You've just gone out, but, but hi, everyone. Hi, hello. Oh, okay. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a little bit unfortunate. So. Uh, I just said that uh, you are our special guest today and uh, basically the star of the show <laughs> and how are you doing? I'm doing, um, I'm fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, uh, before we get into it, let's get into uh, our current news. The first one is that the SSEIT torn uh, tournament round of 16 was broadcasted by Nepeta and uh, we will uh, broadcast it during uh, the next few weeks. And regarding SSEIT broadcast, we, we talked about that Nepeta is uh, retiring because he was doing this broadcast a lot of times and uh, he wants to do something else, I guess. But uh, in any case, uh, we have found, I don't like to use the term replacement, but another member to the SSEIT team who will cast games. And it's no, no other than Nightcat himself. And hi, Nightcat, uh, can you uh, talk about that? How you feel now? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, it's a little overwhelming to be coming into it in the middle of the annual tournament. But, you know, I'll try my best at that. Um, looking forward to, I will actually be the one, the caster for tomorrow's broadcast, which will be the round of 16 part two. Um, so I'm hoping that you know, I will come across and give a strong performance for that. Uh, that will be enjoyable. We certainly hope so. Uh, I know, and I'm not revealing any any uh, secrets uh, that you want, don't want to reveal, but I know that you uh, have uh, put a little twist on the broadcast and I like to see that. And uh, what I do reveal is that um, we plan to broadcast the finals, the three of us together, Nep uh, me, Nepeta and Nightcat, and uh, as a farewell to Nepeta, have one last, uh, one last cast and we hope that uh, he will return one day, but his decision is understandable. The date and the methods are not clear yet how we will achieve that. But, uh, well, anyway, we, uh, this, uh, you heard he it here first, we will do a three-way cast. Uh, there are a lot of uh, stupid wordplay around that word, which I can do, but I'm a better person now. Yeah, it'll be fun to see what you guys do and what Nick does with the new casts and stuff. Um, you know, Always thankful to Nepeta for how much he did with it. You know, he probably took several hours, three or four hours every week to record a cast for years. It's it's in like the thousands of hours of donated time. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Although Nepeta revealed that he actually does the cast in one take, 
which is awesome. I can't do that. I, I record the game separately or, or maybe two or three games in a row, but never, never. Um, I couldn't do one hour uh, recording of casting games continuously. So that's awesome. Sorry, I was just going to add to that. I think um, one time I did try, when Nepeta actually, this was I think a year or a year and a half ago, uh, there was a time where he couldn't get a cast, or he wasn't sure if he would be able to get a cast up in time. And he actually reached out to me and asked, hey, can you make a cast that you know we can upload and use? And I was like, sure. So I gave it a try. Um, and I tried to do it in his style at that time, where I would do all of the games in one go, have them loaded and ready to go. And that is hard on your voice. So that is very impressive that he's able to do it that way. Um, in the end, what I did didn't need to be used. He was able to get a cast up in time, um, which was awesome. But just even having that experience of trying that all in one go, that's rough. Yeah, I don't know how, how he does it. I, I just, I would just uh, dry out my throat and, and become a, uh, like a skeleton voice or something. And um, moving on, the last uh, great news, uh, uh, well, it's not, not a secret anymore, you, uh, you saw it announced, that uh, me, and, me and Antiga has been invited to the Pylon show and will be on very soon. Uh, so stay tuned and, and watch that as well. And I'm for one uh, very excited to shed a little bit of light to this community. Yeah, it'll be fun. Looking forward to being on and getting to talk with everyone. Um, we'll be on on video too, so we'll have to scare everybody. Oh yeah, the great face reveal. Although I think our face is, is basically just a Google search away. At least for me, it's not a big secret how I look. And uh, yeah, I'm easy to find. <laughs> yeah, but still, uh, it will be video and spooky, scary, skelecast. Yes. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, then I have to disappoint you. I'm not a disembodied floating overlord with my uh, tongue out. And now uh, that was the news. Uh, well, no, there is one more thing. There is the Torchup tournament in two weeks, February the 1st and 2nd. And it will be the, in the FOSDEM uh, conference in Brussels, which I will be attending personally. So uh, come and hang out with us, not, not just me from this scene. Uh, uh, come and hang out with us. Uh, it will be a great, uh, great, funny uh, endeavor. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going on. You're going to that. Um, I think several of us from the community will be at AAAI in New York City, the um, academic conference. On, I think it starts like, uh, what is it, February like third through like the ninth or something like that but if you look it up online um if you are do plan on going get a hold of us on discord and we're all going to go out to dinner um all of us ai people that sounds like an oxymoron ai people isn't that like you you are androids or something we were trying to become one with the machine and sort of been failing so we're going to try and improve that <laughs> We've got Detroit become human happening here. Yeah. And now, finally, uh, uh, to the issue at hand, uh, Freakling, uh, you've been a well-known figure around the Broodwork community for a while now. 
Can you tell us about a little how do, did you get into brood war uh, and and map making in general? Uh, feel free to to go on at length and don't uh, constrain yourself. Well, how did I get into it? Um, I've been into it since the game came out, so yeah, that's a long time. And I got into map making because maps just generally sucked back then. <laughs> To make it short um so yeah and well yeah, it's, yeah your it's list of maps hmm? the list of maps that you've made is really impressive i'm trying to think of ones that i know well like eddie roadkill what are some other ones that people might recognize um, well, of course, Eddie Roadkill, yes, those were the ones that uh, Blizzard used for their ladder and um, KSL. Um, more recently, uh, Trespass, which I made uh, for Blizzard ladder, which was not so successful or not so balanced, but well, okay. Um, and of course, now, um, I just made it into ASL for the first time with, a, well, uh, it's a map called Inner Coven and it's um, it's a bit different. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yeah, I've been looking at it. It's very interesting. You know, um, what's always kind of floored us on the Broodwork community is we've been using road, I don't know if you know, but we've been using Roadkill in the official SSC AIT map pool for the bots for like eight or nine years. And so there's probably been well in excess of like a million bot games played on that map that you made. <laughs> older version, probably yes, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it's been, it's, been it's, it's, it's actually a really old map, I think 2012 or something probably. It's been in, on IC cap for a very long time. So yeah, I guess yeah. that's where you picked it up. Yeah, because the, the original map pool got selected back then, and it's just kind of stuck. Um, and so it's just seen an incredible amount of play on the AI side, probably more than humans ever played it by a factor of like a thousand. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's crazy. probably it true for every year. game that's played by AI. Yeah, yeah, because it just keeps, you know, it, you know they play a game every you know 20 or 30 seconds among the different ladders and they run around the clock right so it's the numbers played are just insane um so i don't know i've got a i've got a bunch of questions for you about maps and stuff um um and so it's all right i'm i'll just start working on my list <laughs> um so i gotta ask you about gas on the left on um and the inefficiencies caused by that um so left of like the command center and why that was retired from maps um well, have... gas on the left should actually be all right it is it's, okay it's... so 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 for basis um well it's 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 we uh, in, in the foreign web community at least it's known as the gas issue which is, well, about imbalance in gas binding rates, um, depending on the position of the geyser relative to the uh, resource depot, well, yep, hatchery. Um, 
So, what has been found out years ago, probably 10 years, probably more than 10 years ago, is that um, geysers on the left and on the top, directly on top or to the left, well, there's two positions to the left, obviously, which are pretty much equal, um, gives you a basically full mining rate. Like you can mine a little bit over 300 gas per uh, minute, per game minute um, from a geyser with four workers, for example, which is then the, um, the maximum mining rate. Um, and you can get that or almost that with three workers only if the geyser is directly on top or to the left of the command center. With some minor, well, differences depending on race, because of course different races have dif different uh, condition sizes of their uh, resource depots and of their uh, gas gathering buildings. So um, that can make small differences, but in general, those positions work fine. And well, if you pick good positions, otherwise you can get maybe 270 uh, gas per minute with three workers. Um, so that's a deficit of 10%. Um, if you don't pick your gas positions well, you can go as low as maybe 240. Well, which is actually some of the maps. Let me see. Uh, I think Icarus, for example, has some very bad ones, uh, some very bad natural positions where it's very low. And then obviously you need four workers to mine at full rate. So that's why uh, generally um, main geysers are always uh, either on top or to the left of the starting position. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we start when you start using uh, bots and analytics, you start seeing these little changes on the map. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about with modern balance is how the number of mineral patches in the main is figured out and you know, and how many are the close patches and how many of the far patches and then how what the mineral number of mineral uh, blocks are and the natural is also figured out because some of it varies map to map um, quite starkly. I don't know if you can speak a little uh, bit about I why. Know. I mean, I mean, mostly it's it, you have nine in the main and seven at the net and then like six to eight at other expansions. It, it doesn't really very wildly, I think. Um, most maps it, use the standard, I guess. Um, and then it's it's not an exact science, I would say. It's more like, okay, you look at your map. What does it look like? Uh, which race? And I remember that uh, they are more or less the same number um, of mineral patches than uh, we had in the stock maps when Brood War came out. Uh, at least it seems that way to me. Uh, maybe it's just a tradition that carried over? Or was there any, any serious consideration that saying that, okay, uh, I need this many minerals to be available uh, in one base? How, uh, like, it seems to me that the maps that the uh, that brood war came with uh, uh, when it came out uh, 
contained a certain number of resources and mineral patches, and that amount was basically carried over uh, d uh, during the game's lifespan. Would you say that's a correct assumption? Um, I, it really depends on what maps you look, I guess. Um, if you look at the original Blizzard maps, well, those were all over the place, I think. <laughs> With very very weird and inefficient, uh, um, well, mineral configurations and well, if you look at the basics, basically what's the standard at the time, which is Lost Temple, I guess uh, that's that would have eight mineral patches in the mains. So uh, that's actually a bit less. It's a bit lower economy uh, than today. So I wouldn't say it's that um, well. They, it's in part that, I guess, but obviously it developed over time. And I guess the values that we now have as a standard is just what came out uh, of years of professional play and turned out to be, well, what works, what's good, uh, what gives every, ra every race um, a good chance. And um, everyone's using it basically with minor variations. I mean, obviously, if you just put 20 mineral patches in a main, uh, you will get massively in, uh, increased mining rates with more workers, which means Terran and uh, Terran and Protoss would have a massive advantage over Zerg because they can produce more workers. So um, you'd want to avoid that. Conversely, uh, if you have very little, like only six patches in the main, well, that would be an instant advantage for Zerg because they have less workers and they can expand very quickly. So um, Terra Terran and Protoss would have probably have difficulties uh, keeping up unless the map has some other features which massively f favor the other races. But well, yeah, that's interesting. You know, um, notice that maps like Andromeda that have, you know, even another mineral main in the main, um, at least in bot world, can have a bit of a Protoss-Terran favor um, due to the ease of taking that additional uh, mineral base in some situations. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you, I, I was curious about the, one of the things that I was thinking about was the ability to, like, pylon block a probe behind the minerals. It seems that that's like inconsistent across maps. You know, if a Protoss is trying to like stack Corsairs, for example, um, and they want to block a probe behind their minerals to make that easy to do, it seems like some positions start um, allow that and some don't on certain maps. Is that something that's like normally incorporated on modern map design and wasn't thought about years I ago? Mean, I mean, included or? I, I think it's something you should consider as a map maker. I mean, what do you want to consider? What you definitely want is um, as close as equal mining rates for all bases and or main bases in particular, because, well, obviously, if one player can get more resources in the same amount of time, that's um, an, an advantage, a massive advantage. Um, you want to avoid that. Um, apart from that, yeah, there's things like mana pylons, which uh, mm -hmm. ideally you want equal opportunity for players to make at different starting locations um, there's certain considerations 
with regards to uh, building placement or uh, in particular um, Terra and Comsat stations, which can cause massive mining problems. Uh, um, yeah, we've, we've noticed that actually. Because <laughs> um, we, you know, of course, we're graphing the AI mining rate data pretty precisely. And pre and post Comsat mining rates sometimes are hilariously different. Yes. Um, I've been using um, special, well, I've come up with a special placement. If you look at my maps, you'll probably realize if they have minerals in the, uh, well, bottom right corner from the uh, from the command center or, or from the resource depot, um, there will always be a very specific setup with how, how the minerals are arranged and with a, with a gap in the bottom right corner, which allows you to put a supply depot directly below the command center and then will give you very smooth mining rate even with that. It hasn't really caught on with other map makers or players so far. So yeah, but um, so it, the map it. <laughs> the map is designed specifically so that you have to place a supply depot in a specific position to well, compensate for the compensat being placed. You don't is have that... to, but you should. <laughs> but you, you should. The, okay. You have the option, and <laughs> if you know what you're doing, you should do it, and you'll get a pretty significant profit, I guess. Um, if you don't, well, then you don't. I can only offer it to you. It's for you to play the map as the player, but yeah. That's how it works. Uh, that, that's interesting. All right. Because we've been noticing and I've been playing with some positions and stuff and going, ooh. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's fun. Other, other little things like that. For example, um, with gas mining in particular, the problem or one of the uh, well particularities of it is that workers always respawn with a clockwise um clockwise uh, offset somehow, right? So if they the guys is on top, the work, worker will spawn to the right. If it's on bottom, the worker will spawn to the left. If it's to the left, it will spawn slightly on top. And if it's to the right, it will spawn, well, slightly on the bottom and even a bit below the geyser, right? You notice that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and use, you can use like a core or a depot to adjust the exit. Uh, you see it a lot in pro games. Well, with the, that they place a depot under the geyser or something like that, yes. Yeah. Um, and well, I, I actually use, if I use the right-hand side geyser, I always put uh, doodles beneath it, which are un uh, unwalkable terrain pieces to, well, because that actually shortens uh, the, the travel distance quite a bit and speeds up mining for those geysers and thus reduces um, mining rate differences. So yeah, it's, ah. it's little, little things like that uh, that I figured out over the time that can really help with the uh, resource balance. And, that's, really um, that's really interesting. But um, well, as to how I actually set up mineral lines, it's well, it's it's mostly experience, I guess. I I can picture in my head how workers will travel. I can look at the um, the um, now um, the um, well, SCM draft now allows us to actually see the uh, the pathfinding regions uh, on the map. So you can see 
or you can use that as uh, to see where workers would travel between command centers and minerals, for example. Um, and then you can, then you know basically where they will travel and then you can, can pretty uh, guess pretty well, well, which ones, uh, how, how fast uh, particular mineral setup will mine. Um, but well, I, I gathered actually lots of numbers over the years and um, but uh, it's still not still not exact, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's something that maybe <laughs> the AI community could help with. Um, yeah, we have really good tools for number tracking for yes. um, uh, mineral ingest rates and also stuff that's predictive as well. Um, and of course, we're, we have our own map analysis systems and programs. Um, it's it's cool that you, you brought up SCM Draft. Um, and one of the things that we've noticed is that maps created after about the 2018, after about 2018, when SCM Draft like 0.9 or whatever it was that came out with pathfinding stuff in it, we've noticed that the map quality as far as pathfinding went way up after about 2018 <laughs> because units get stuck a lot less right and so um it's one of the things that we've really noticed is what, that what the, the, mean they get stuck a lot less like yeah so units um path cleaner because you don't have as much as many rough edges okay. um well yeah. um around uh, terrain features and stuff and also the routes between the different places are more clear and cleaner um, after those pathfinding tools became available. Um, I don't know, we just have noticed that the, ma the, the maps, um, they're easier for us to analyze. There's less like jaggy edges <laughs> on things. Does that make sense? Right, because you know, because every time you, know, you make a point and you draw it on another point and draw back, you have, you know, that's an extra data point you have to store. And the newer maps that have better pathfinding, there's actually less points in total and stuff. It's really interesting um, how they change as far as affecting us after that update with SCM draft and the maps that can come after that date. Yeah, um, any specific map you're talking about or um, what would be an example? What would you say? I'm trying to think. Um, which one do we um i noticed it was sparkle when that came out yeah, that's an island um, map that's something yeah different. it's different it's different <laughs> it's different but it was one of the first ones that i noticed that with um the one that has the snow and the trees um that's whiteout. in the current purple yeah whiteout we we're doing i was doing some analysis on that and looking at that and that had a lot of smoothing and stuff that was a lot cleaner um I don't know, you might really enjoy looking at some of the map analysis stuff that we've done um, over the years and what our tools output, um, because it's a very similar as far as pathfinding and stuff um, that you're used to from SCM Graph. Hello, I can't hear you. Oh, hello, can you hear me? We're good? Yes. Yep. All right. That was just no, a was little just... bit of silence. No, I was just mentioning that, you know, we have tools like uh, BWE 
IEM and BWEB that do a lot of uh, math analysis, et cetera, um, that you might really enjoy seeing what the outputs of those different programs look like um, at some point. Yeah, and we have a vast amount of data available and we can generate uh, vast amounts of data um, because we have the, the tools to, to set up to play a million games. Okay. Well, what, what, what I would really like to see is just, just a reliable frame-perfect mining data, which can exactly tell you in a specific mineral position with a specific setup around on a specific mining path, um, one mining trip lasts so and so many frames. Or so you can our... convert then that then into uh, minerals per minute or whatever unit, of course. But just to have some exact numbers on uh, how how fast uh, specific minerals mine, so that would then finally allow to design mineral lines, which uh, you could actually perfectly balance for our races, for example, and for our positions. I think we've got some of that data. The bots actually mine in an, in an inhuman way. Yeah, they do I, a I... level of optimization <laughs> on top that a yeah, human the, could never there do. Was, there was an article uh, by, by Leaderbot, I think, a while back on TL. <laughs> Yeah, and that and that's been improved another couple of layers since he wrote that. Um, the, so the top level bots, they're pulling, they're mining at a rate that's about fifteen to twenty percent higher than a human possibly they, they could. They probably in terms cut of out almost all uh, deceleration, acceleration phases. Yes, so. uh, they're basically clicking past the minerals they, they, and yeah. taking all the slide out. And, and, and they're take, timing it with the delay properly. Short paths, I guess. Yes. Diagonal paths, for example, if they don't need to. They use they use what's called mineral locking as well, past a certain point where the probes lock, the workers lock onto a certain mineral and don't deviate uh, past because it actually resets some internal timers with Brood War. Uh, as far as um, uh, frames for gathering. And so there's ex some exploitation of stuff, stuff like that going on behind the scenes um, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, but that doesn't really um, apply to human players, of course. Not, not really. Um, though you can, we can, you can, some of the top bots, it's selectable, the level of um, mining exploitation kind of going on under the hood. They actually have like a, uh, like a stand, standard non-mineral locking mode that they can be put in for versus team play if you want. Um, uh, of course, versus bot versus bot, they're going full exploitation of the game engine, right? So, yeah. but, right, but, I mean, they're going for everything would, they can do. I, I would assume that unless minerals are really, really, uh, are set up really, really bad on a map, um, the bot would get a very good mining rate out of them no matter how bad the natural pathfinding is. So. Yes, yeah. The, so some bots, some bots use um, pathfinding, but actually pathfinding for minerals, I think I can only think of maybe one bot that uses it for minerals because controlling each individual worker with pathfinding is extremely computationally expensive. 
when you start talking about huge numbers of them in terms of APM but and what, what CPU exactly power. What do you mean that that they so actually, so that the workers also consider uh, the path the, the pathfinding regions in right? Well, yeah. so what I'm talking well, I'm talking another layer past this. So so the majority of brood robots use the in-game pathfinding. But the very top tier, they actually calculate pathfinding themselves on top. So they basically constantly click yes. micro steps and to move units yes. along a yeah. very specific path to cut out even the last few seconds, maybe for a rush or for mining or for whatever, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit different, but um, yeah, yeah, you, we have the built-in pathfinding. Um, there are there are levels and layers uh, of of uh, complexity here. Like uh, uh, you can do that that you do pathfinding on a tile by tile basis. So you uh, every uh, you issue a comment uh, tile by tile. Usually uh, bots don't do that, but there are more more efficient uh, more efficient ways uh, like. Uh, just just uh, assign certain lines of movement that the unit will not screw up and uh, for mining the distances are short enough to not uh, so that it doesn't really worth uh, thinking about custom pathfinding i think and uh, yeah as as dan uh, said in the chat uh, the problem with that that uh, you can screw it, screw it up very easily and uh, after a certain point, it might not be worth the investment. But um, the bot mining Im uh, improve strategies are, are uh, yeah, exploiting the game engine basically. It's it's uh, pathfinding is can be a part of it, but it's not a does not play a major part in it. Yeah, one of the things that's a little odd that we've realized is humans tend to underestimate the economic loss of pulling their workers and then putting them back, uh, for instance, with like a reaver drop or something like that. Um, in bot world, one of the things we figured out is that unless you lose like a third of your workers to a drop, you're almost better just powering through and leaving them. <laughs> uh, um, because the bot's ability to remake workers and the cost of pulling them and resetting them is so high that um, we tend to think that humans underestimate the uh, loss uh, well, by doing so. At least the bot could perfectly split them again after sending them back. So yeah, and, and that <laughs> does one help. major yeah. last factor cut out. But okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and so actually, a lot of the higher level bots, um, they often don't retreat at all <laughs> i mean a bot could probably <laughs> retreat a single worker away that's the target or something like that so <laughs> but yeah yeah it's it's pretty interesting so when you make maps do you make like a half and then mirror or do you make the whole thing what do you mean like do you make like the ma uh, half the of a map and then use a mirror function to like double it over so that it makes a whole map um, I generally I use uh, mirror functions only for the rough layout and the details I then do by hand. Um, there's of course another problem with the mirror function. Um, or 
with the with the way uh, maps are processed by the game, which is that the bottom row of tiles is basically missing from the map in game because it's unbuildable, it's unusable, right? Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So your map uh, Y dimension is is um, effectively one less than the actual map dimension. So one thing I do is. For example, if I do a 128 square map, uh, I start it as 128 by 126, then use the mirror tools, and then extend the map to the full size. Because um, that way, you get extra terrain on the bottom, which really helps you to um, equalize sizes on the bottom part of the map. <laughs> Um, and well, yeah, of course, you can only do the rough stuff with the okay. Now, nowadays, SCN Raft also allows you to do rectangular tile editing with uh, mirror tools, I guess, but you don't really want to do that, of course. So, what I do is uh, I do the basic uh, isometrical stuff um, with the mirror tools and then um do the rest by hand i mean once you start putting in things like ramps and stuff uh won't help you anymore so um most of it is um so about ramp selection what kind of goes into it we've noticed that um you know of course some of the older maps have black holes <laughs> which i'm sure you're <laughs> familiar you with them black holes <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> what we call I call them Swiss cheese. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, or well, That's or just a uh, jungle maps are Swiss cheese. Uh, desert ramps are just complete mess. <laughs> but yeah. The the top um, west, the top mid fighting spirit base, that west ramp oh, is notorious. Thing. You mean that? the vortex <laughs> the vortex it, it just sucks up units and because bots do some weird yeah that, that's a not more a ramp issue though that. that's a pathfinding issue um oh okay that's um so that's what um what in case you don't know exactly? what so what causes that exactly um, um well um it seems like um or for practical purposes, it's, it is it uh, that um, each pathfinding region has, of course, a node, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, the default behavior of units when they are stuck on terrain, so, so when their collision box uh, overlaps with uh, unwalkable terrain, is to walk towards the uh, towards the node. And now, if your node is on uh, terrain that's uh, unwalkable, or at least partially unwalkable, then you got a problem if you have a unit that's big enough that's stuck on, on the uh, unwalkable terrain and then walks towards the node. It will just constantly walk in place, and every other unit uh, in the vicinity will, of course, do the same. And because it will wiggle a bit to the side always if you get another unit close enough their collision boxes will overlap 
so then uh, the game engine will try to untangle that and then they you move into each other and they all get stuck there. That's basically <laughs> what happens. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's it's even, a... Uh, a special uh, variation of that. Uh, you, you can get stuck um, an ultralisk because an ultralisk, of course, is wider than a tile. So you can get it stuck even if the node is on a walkable tile but the tile next to it isn't so yeah oh that's hilarious of that. <laughs> um... <laughs> inside you know. uh, brood war there is a very complicated uh, placement function which i spent uh, days if not weeks untangling and uh, one of my articles about the the guide for bw api uh, deals with this and yeah basically it's it's a magic magic uh, puzzle box and if you have too many units that you want to uh, put it will it will just go around and and uh, try to find some some weird placement and uh, in very rare cases uh, units can even get destroyed if if the game engine can't place them but not in this case at least i haven't <laughs> seen it so far i haven't seen that either no but you can so... easily provoke the bug of course by just uh, doing anything that changes uh, collision box or collision sizes of units on the ramp, like morphing the locker egg or unburying units or drilling workers or morphing an Arkham or whatever. So, yeah. There is a very widespread uh, belief that is completely wrong that some units change their uh, they change their bounding box sizes when moving. Reviews, it, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it stems from a, a video that Day9 did. By Day9, I think. Yes, yeah. yes, the Learn Starcraft, which is uh, otherwise a very great series. I watched it just for entertainment purpose, and, and you should watch it, but that information is so wrong and so widespread that goons change size. Ah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been, I've been, uh, um, well... <laughs> I've encountered that so often <laughs> and so often well corrected it so yeah I think it's it's become less though um, I haven't really heard that in a while are there things about your maps that uh, people have done with them that have surprised you you know weird things um, in, in terms of their use and in play uh, things that surprised me or unusual, unintended I mean, use it, of map features. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, if we look at in the way of an eddy, for example, um, it has these uh, island bases, which are blocked by uh, by these crashed battle cruisers um, that you have to destroy before you can uh, build a base there. What it surprised me a bit is that players almost always will just drop a worker there and then very, very slowly kill that thing with the worker. And then build a base instead of you know just load a drop full of whatever, keep fighting units, drop them, kill it, fly back or something. But yeah, I mean, I guess that the point of the thing or why it did it that way was, of course, that um, classical way to do it is uh, to block the base with a mineral patch so Tehran can just flow to command center there um, which then allows Protoss to just drop a probe mine the thing, build a base have a free base, 
which I think equally boring, basically. So I decided I wanted it to be a bit harder for players. They had to invest a bit of unit time for it. And well, I guess on a on a high enough level of play, unit time is just such a val val valuable resource that uh, players probably decide against it. I don't know, but I found it very interesting that they deemed that to the most well efficient or most opportunistic way to go about it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'm always surprised at the creativity and weird stuff that people come up with. Um, when you look at maps, do you come up with like an idea when you're starting starting the process of making a map? Do you come up with like an idea of like a balanced thing you want to address or a unique feature for a map um, before you even start? Or is that something that like grows out of the process? Or how do you approach that? I don't know if there's a clear-cut answer to that. Um, how do we come up with anything uh, creative? I don't know. Sometimes yeah. I just yeah. wake up at night and I have a map, map concept in my head and I scribble a bit on a piece of paper. And maybe at some point I actually make that map. Um, I don't know. Usually it's just a bunch of ideas I've bouncing around in my head. Oh, maybe you can do this mechanic. You can do this layout. And well, sometimes enough ideas conglomerate to, uh, well, a complete map concept, and then I make the map, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I heard there is that you dream about maps even in your sleep, which is like, high five, that's awesome. <laughs> you are certainly dedicated. <laughs> well, <laughs> probably. <laughs> so, um, do you work with like the Korean map making people? Um, what's that relationship like with the Korean map making stuff and the leagues and all that? How does that function or what's, what are those relationships like? Well, uh, the problem of course is uh, the massive language barrier, but well, um, seems like Africa TV is right now making a real effort to, um, to, to, to change that or to get new maps, basically, I guess. <laughs> That's their motivation. Uh, so they this time they held, uh, they actually held an open map making contest before, uh, uh, well, for the next uh, ASL, which I won. And well, now my map is uh, in there. And well, what's what's the process like? Yeah, of course, the map won, and I had some time to make an update, and then there was a little play testing. Well, not a competition, like they 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 played some team melee games on it, and gave some feedback, and then I completely changed the map, and <laughs> now it's in. Um, that's basically how it worked. Do you find the, you know, one of the things that we talk about on the AI side, especially, is that players' impression of what the bots need versus what the bot authors know about the bots and can do are pretty different. So, do you find the player feedback um, accurate or helpful? Or helpful in a way, or is some? Do you kind of have to like split in half and ignore about half of it, and then kind of implement based and filter it all? 
Well, first off, it's uh, it can be very hard to get any meaningful feedback at all. Most of my feedback is actually watching the games played on the map. So yeah, um, well, yeah. there's different uh, kinds of feedback, of course. Lots of feedback I get is, well, there's something wrong with the pathfinding somewhere. And well, the answer to that most of the time is, well, yeah, welcome to Brute War. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Regarding the uh, uh, other things, well, um, go on. If it's feedback like, okay, there's 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 a base that's not mining properly or something like that, okay, in that that's usually just an oversight, or I haven't even done that yet on a map, so um, that's not so helpful. Uh, there's also sometimes feedback in the form of well you should do this which is okay if i why right um but uh, generally it's it's help, it's always helpful to get um to get feedback of course um it's it's, it's like always uh... good if the feedback kind of addresses okay i think this is imbalanced because of that uh, I think this strategy would work well. Maybe you should therefore do that or something like that. Uh, if, it, if, it's a, it, if it has some thought behind it, that's always good. <laughs> um, one of the things, you know, of course, we have really accurate base-to-base -base distance data on maps. And of course, there's kind of a range. Um, and the range can be really huge. Um, you know, certain positions on Python are extremely close. And well, that, that, that's... base to base on benzene, benzene, the base to base distance is extraordinarily massive, right? Um, so, what, what's your kind of thinking about uh, base to base rush distance? You know, kind of talking about the differences between two player, three, and four player maps and things like that. Um, how do you decide on a rush distance? You know, because it's one of the things that well, I, I so crucial exactly... to a map. Yeah, but I don't exactly um, decide on a rush on a rush on a rush distance. Sorry, um, I don't sit down and say, okay, I want a map with a rush distance of like 33 game seconds from main ramp to main ramp or something like that. That's not how it works, I guess. Um, you have a layout, and then you think, okay, um, to make that work. What do you need? To, or how 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 can you avoid basically to have too short rush distances? That's probably what comes up most often. For example, in a Python layout, like where you have these close ground positions, which are very close together, uh, and well, um, what you could do in that case, for example, is put an obstacle in between those close bases. Um, for example, we now had a map with a similar layout in the last ASL. What was it called? Uh, remember, I have to look it up. Well, uh, it, it's okay. Um, um so you can add a you can add like a doodad exactly or something. It was a Python it. layout, but it had that bit of a barrier in between the bases, which of course helps with rushing distances. Um, well, two-player maps generally have a longer distance, I guess, or maybe should have a longer distance because there's just one position to scout, for example. So um, if that distance is too short, then, well, 
players could abuse that really heavily. So I guess if a map like Benzene, well, obviously the long rushing distance is uh, due to the layout, of course. Like, look how the uh, the, uh, the main and natural are arranged. Um, basically both against the side of the map and then you move further along the side until you gen then take like an S-shaped path through the middle. That's of course the most indirect pathfinding you can get on a map. So that's very intentional, I guess. Um, I think that sometimes when the map distances are really long like that, it... Um, it encourages two things really heavily, really economic openers and super aggressive proxy cheese. <laughs> um, yeah. and, you know, and, and so you end up with this dichotomy that I, I'm not sure if it's healthy, <laughs> you know, where one, one side wants to go Nexus first, the other side, um, you know, wants to go uh, like proxy barracks, you know, um, because of the distances, it's interesting. That's just the interesting uh, balance between difference between aggression and uh, defense that you have in that you basically yeah. have in Scarcraft, right? And if you have a two-player map, of course, uh, proxy tactics, even blind proxy tactics without any scouting, are of course an obvious thing to do. And well, um, what you can do against that, of course, is make everything unbuildable. Um, but <laughs> you probably right. don't want yeah. to do that either. So. It has consequences. Um, is there like a minimum rush distance that you have in your mind that you say, we just don't go below this distance um, when you talk about map creation? Well, I can't give you a, 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 a game second duration, but I would say uh, Python is very, very short, right? Um, I wouldn't go below that. In fact, I, if I would have to redesign Python, I would definitely include some more obstacles to make it longer um yeah we've noticed from the bot map pool um those two closed positions on python are the closest distance in the whole um ai bot um, map pool that's due to the layout of course um and even like what what can you really do with the python layout due to the symmetry well you will get uh basically if you do it really symmetrical you'll you'll get um all the naturals at the basically at the center points of each uh, side of the map right so then you basically get a diagonal of a quarter of the map as the rushing distance which is already shorter than let's say on a normal uh, rotational symmetric map like uh, La Mancha or Fighting Spirit, where the naturals are closer to the corners, right? So um, that's uh, the basic symmetry already influences what uh, rushing distances you have to deal with. Uh, other example, I made a 96 by 96 map and I actually put the naturals in uh, opposite corners of the map because, of course, so that's the two points that are farthest away from each other. So even though the map is uh, pretty small, it's got a decent rushing distance because, well, the naturals are far apart, as far apart as they can be. And then I also put um, an obstacle in the middle of the map and then you get a good rushing distance. Well, 
relatively long rushing distance, actually. So, yeah, you can influence it. But, um, Are you... Depending on how many players the map has, or how many spawns the map has, and which symmetry it uses, uh, there's already... Um, that already influenced it it's a lot, of course. How much does, you know, you know, there's all these underlying technical things that go into maps and um, things like this, but there's also like the whole art and beautification of maps and making them look pretty and appealing to the eye. Um, do you find that, you know, if you put a, more time into the uh, aesthetics of a map that it gets played more? Um, does that make a difference in your in your estimation? Like, or is it, or is, do people like do players just choose map based on technical thing? I think humans aren't really that way, but you know, I'm curious on your feedback. You know, of history of map making. You know, does that um, sort of beautification part of it really make a difference in how much a map gets played beyond just its technical, um, beyond the technical portions of its creation? Yeah, I actually I, I wanted just... wanted to ask you about that. Uh, your maps uh, seem to have a theme always, and uh, like uh, oxide or or tenebra, they are visually distinct, and not just not just the tie sets, but the arrangement itself. And uh, do you have some kind of artistic background or or some some other creative outlet that might be inspiring this? Um. Well. Um... <laughs> Let's start with, uh, does it influence uh, if a map is played? Um, I would say to a degree. Um, of course, uh, if it if a map looks better in a picture, people will probably think it's a better map, right? They 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 are more or if it, if it has more decoration, it will look more complete, for example. So they will probably be more likely to pick it up and try it out, right? Apart from that, well, um, let's look, for example, at the old Casper maps, as at many of the um, new maps that are made now for ASL by the same old map makers that uh, already made maps in the Casper days. They usually have very minimal deco decoration, actually, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's, like in Andromeda is like. Unbelievable and circuit breaker are unbelievably blank <laughs> in some way. Yes, there's a lot of, of, of spam of the same tiles, for example, on the high ground to make it unbuildable, right? Or even on the low ground, everything is symmetrical. Uh, there's just small patches here and there. The mains is all one terrain. Um, sizes, I guess. Um, personally, I uh, like to do more because I like to give my maps this, uh, well, a unique look, basically, and a unique concept, even in the decoration. Um, I would say that's the enjoyable part. And then I'm 10 hours in decorating my map, and no, it's another 40 hours I have to go, and then uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, you're doing a lot of pasting the same stuff all over again, and adding minute variations and I don't know, looking like things <laughs> that not the same tile is spammed multiple times next to each other just by pure coincidence. And then, well, okay, then it gets a bit crazy and that's probably just me and uh, well, but um, yeah, you a can lot of course go to- A lot of the maps you make are really pretty. They're really nice. A lot of the maps you make are really gorgeous. So 
Thank you for making ones that have some visual appeal to them. <laughs> I've seen too much Circuit Breaker. It's not great. <laughs> Fucking Circuit Breaker. And what, what about the artistic background a question? Well, uh, I've always been creative, I guess. Uh, I've got other creative outlets. I do uh, play a lot of music, for example. Um, I guess I'm just naturally creative. What should I say? Um, there seem to be people who are, and I'm one of them. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> fun. Now, do you, um, what goes in with like critters? Because I've noticed that like we can look at the pro amps. Um, some have like there's not a critter anywhere to be seen, and some have like tons of them. Is, is there some? Is there something going on, or is that all feel, or is there any technical consideration that goes in with having lots of critters? Or well, I, I guess mostly maybe it, um, there's different things. I guess. Critters might and might not fit your concept to begin with, right? So, um, like, I have a map light roadkill. Um, well, conceptually, there has to move something around the map, of course, right? Right, <laughs> um, yeah. Something needs to get run over. <laughs> yeah. But for um, the same reason, you might omit all the critters because they've been run over, right? Well, there's lots of skeletons on the map, so... Um, well, the, the, the idea of roadkill, it started actually out as, okay, I want to make a map with the, one of these giant skeleton doodads in the middle, and that, that was it. Basically, that's what it all came from. But, um, yeah, um, some of the newer Korean maps used critters, uh, invincible critters, actually, to, to uh, block little holes in between terrain. That otherwise units could be dropped into. I personally don't ghost. don't really <laughs> like that kind of solution. You could just as well put a dudet in there or any other kind of unwalkable terrain, and then not have to deal with all those critters, which accidentally you could click onto with, for example, your mutalisk stack, which would then cause the uh, mutalisks to slow down and destack or whatever undesirable behavior. Um, Critters, critters can be a nuisance if you're playing the map. So um, what you shouldn't do, for example, is um, put critters in expansions, particularly uh. not in expansions that players want to take quickly because then you have those random critters blocking your expansion, which is actually not just an annoyance, but can be a real balance issue, of course, because players get randomly denied or delayed in their expansion. Um, and mm -hmm. if you do that, then put the critters on light, uh, like uh, five health points, so a worker can kill them with one attack or something, because, well, you don't really want to annoy players, right? <laughs> wow. Right, you know, anything that causes, adds a randomization function to a game is not really appealing. It's not really desirable, no. At least not in a, in a melee map that you expect players to uh, seriously play on. Uh, I guess if you design um, an FFA map or, uh, well, FFA map, maybe not too either, but um, an, a campaign map, for example, something like that, then, then that might be different, but <laughs> um, yeah. 
I remember the okay. map when when the, that was the appeal that it was full of critters and you actually had to expend a considerable APM <laughs> killing all of it. I don't remember the map it, name, it but wasn't that... there no Blizzard map that was just full of critter spam all over the map. Yeah, and also um, other favorite is something called dark forest or something when it was full of trees and you basically didn't have any Demon's kind forest? of light of sight. Demon's forest or? Demon's forest, yes, that was it, I think. That's uh, oh, that's just hilarious, what's but. The <laughs> what's the most wrong thing about that map? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, a typical, ex well, that's a typical example of two things. For one, of course, you can really overdo an idea, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with putting these uh, these kind of tree doodles in there. They have some interesting properties, of course. They block vision at the same time. They offer a cover to units, so you know, reduced hit chance. And uh, okay, the third one is maybe a bit annoying, but you know, they they actually limit how how smooth units can move through there because they are partially uh, unwalkable. So that's three effects you have there. That's, and well, the, the combination um, uh, of offering cover and, uh, and blocking vision is of course pretty interesting. But if you do this and spam it all over the map and you get this uh, bad mo unit movement with it, then <laughs> that's that's a pretty bad map actually. And of course, the other thing is back then we couldn't yet see uh, pathfinding regions. So of course, if there's unwalkable terrain uh, all over the map, uh, these uh, vortex bugs, which we talked about earlier, creep up basically everywhere, right? That I think that was the reason why the map was then promptly removed from competition because players just laid some mines or moved an Archon or something and suddenly they had half their army stuck somewhere and, well... <laughs> yeah, it's not so but, great. Um, I'm actually working on a similar concept with much less trees and, of course, without vortex bugs right now because, well, now we can. Um, so, yeah, maybe there will be something a uh, bit in that direction shortly <laughs> or at some point not sure yet <laughs> i have two um, concepts to work on <laughs> yeah there's so there's so much stuff you know I, i'm just thinking through my head you know things that i'm curious about so um i'm really curious about high and low ground um sort of flat mains and high mains and ramp width um you know it, we've noticed quite a bit about how that in uh, affects balance and openers, especially ramp with the ability to block one worker or multi, you know needing like two units or three, um, or having it really wide. Um, what kind of goes into that in your world map creation? Well, I mean, basically that's, or uh, at least originally that's of course uh, given by the game, like how Blizzard released it, right? They they made the original ramp uh, do that and they have a certain width of course and the width depends on the terrain and the tile set like for example um, if you have um, um, badlands terrain and use um, those um, 
what's it called? Compo compound terrain or structure terrain, right? Those technical looking metal stuff. And well, those have very tight ramps, of course, which you can e easily block against basically anything with just any single unit, even a circling, if you place it right. Um, then you have like your uh, standard dirt ramps for badlands or for uh, for a jungle, which are essentially the same ones, um, which have the, which are a bit wider. Um, and then you have, for example, like um, space terrain or a desert, which have naturally wider ramps, right? Which you can only block with like three units normally. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, um, then um, over time, players, well, players, map makers came up with um, customized ramps. Although, well, look, Mostly the customization was, of course, to make reversed ramps that go well, yeah, which have, that basically have the, the, the high ground on the bottom and the low ground on the top. Because, mm -hmm. well, originally the game, of course, had just ramps uh, which, which were in on front of a cliff, cliff, but not on the backside cliff. So, um, those uh, might vary in, well, Let's just say the the original ones that were created by Korean map makers in the Casper days and then used over and over again generally aren't very good and very balanced either. Like if you look at the space uh, ramps, for example, um, the normal ones you you uh, they are significantly wider than the reversed ones, right? Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> the basic decision how wide your ramps are depend on the terrain and tiles that you use mostly. Um and then of course you can start to customize that stuff, right? And at least I tr always try to make ramps um as close and similar as possible uh, in in all parameters like terrain level like where where's low ground with where's the high ground um and the width i.e uh, how many units you need uh, to block them right because that's that's got massive gameplay implications of course um i guess you have to now consider... we of course yeah. have a new kind of new thing in the game since patch 122 uh, blizzard edit um added a bunch of new RAMs, which are extendable, which, well, yeah, they have, they did a very, very, very bad job with that, I have to say. Like, those RAMs, you can't, you, you just can't use them without heavy editing, because they are very, very bugged uh, in, in many respects. And some of them are very, very tight. Like, now we, we had the... In the now uh, in the new, new uh, Africa Star League maps now uh, that were play tested, one of the feedbacks of players for the new um, space platform uh, maps was that the main ramps are just too too small, too tight, right? Mm -hmm. Too easily blocked. Yeah, and that's that just the new the new ramps that Blizzard released like that, but well, didn't really get any 
feedback from either players or map makers on beforehand and that's what we have now um so yeah basically you <laughs> making rams is an, an art form all of itself for map makers i guess uh, we've uh you know being that we're still stuck on 1.16 at least in the short term um you know obviously any map that has the new ramps on it we can't backport and use in uh, 1.16 uh, AI competitions. Um, so we haven't encountered it too much other than just saying we can't use those specific ones. So that's really interesting that they weren't couldn't actually just, really couldn't you just to... Couldn't you just like rip out the new terrain uh, files from 1.22 and re-import them into 1.16 or something like that? Our difficulties... That would be a really cool thing to try. We've never tried it. Um, that would be really interesting I mean, to do. That's, and that's something do that I'm considering doing because, well, if it's possible, because, well, of course, 116, patch 116 still is the most stable uh, testing platform to work on. Our uh, difficulties with backporting stuff, stuff are mostly not technical. So uh, there are there is a reason we didn't make the switch to remastered, and that's not... Uh, that uh, the team behind the interface is not capable of it. Yeah, but um, I guess what I'm talking about is, is just, uh, you know, using the new texture files basically in an old patch. Should be possible, could... shouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that'd be really interesting to do. Um, we'll have to talk about that afterwards and see if we can come up with a... a maybe grab one of our engineering guys and um, help them see if we can make that work. Because then we could run the new maps in the 1.16 um, uh, AI tournament environments, and we would love that, so. Oh yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, uh, which you, you could certainly run some of the new maps either way, right? I mean. Yes, and we do. Um, so for instance, uh, I have a tournament that's coming up that's starting AIST. That's the third season of it is starting registration starting the 1st of February. And the map pool for that um, is this la the last ladder season from the end of last year. And only one of those maps could we not run. All the rest of them we were. We're talking about ramps uh, quite a bit. Um, okay. And sort of just finished, we were, I think we were sort of finishing up that discussion, but just talking about. Um, maybe doing a, a texture from SCR back to 1.16. <laughs> it's a demo start yeah. edition, as Dan says. Well, so. I mean, <laughs> the easy way to do it, of course, is to, to design RAMs completely from scratch, like uh, basically all like the RAMs used in, in, in all Twilight maps, for example, those are of course just made up of normal terrain tiles. Um, those are then also easy to balance, of course, because, well, you're just using normal terrain, which there's plenty of, so you aren't limited to, to using RAM tiles, which of course have lots of limitations with terrain levels and how the the borders of the walkable terrain work and stuff like that um but yeah um i all the rams i use are uh completely of my own making because well um, any rams that anyone else has made 
turned out to be very buggy. So yeah. I noticed that you um, design mostly tournament maps, which are uh, kind of for one to one versus one play. That um, their skill they can be certainly used by multiple people at the same time, uh, and um, that. Um, uh, my question is: Is there different consideration if you uh, different considerations in the play? If you design a map for uh, a two v two or three v three or even four v four, but I don't think anyone plays four v four. But uh, yeah, and have you done that before? Uh, yeah, I've I've made a few um, well eight player maps, so I guess you could play those four v four. Um, well, yeah, of course, there's there's different considerations. Um, like, um, or let's just take basic four-player maps, right? Which are most 2v2s played on anyway. Um, now, in a 1v1, well, there's some niche-up specifics, of course, like if you have a reverse main, so, so a low-ground main and a high-ground natural, well, Protoss versus Protoss turns a bit into rock-paper-scissors, it is said, because uh, if you can get a contain on the, the other player, that's a huge advantage, of course. Now, um, I think in the 2v2, this, this is probably even more relevant because players don't expand very fast, right? So they are limited to one base. And then if you have um, an, an upwards ramp from your main um, and you are against two players, that can be very hard to defend. But players play those maps as 2v2 maps too so well um, of course if you set out to design a map that's specifically made for 2v2 you have some different options you can uh, pick very different layouts of course like you could make a map like uh, what's it called Iron Curtain for example right the old old Casper uh, map was used for 2v2 and Korean competitions a while back. Um, that's of course a very different layout that doesn't really work for a 1v1 web uh, because of how it's set up and how it's not really positionally balanced, for example, right? Um, I remember Radevel talking about that map at one point. He was one of the better 2v2 players back in the day. Um, interesting, yeah. And I mean, if you if you design something like three v three, eight v eight, v eight, four v four, and well, you don't really want to go big like one hundred ninety two square or two hundred fifty six square maps, like these giant FFA maps. That's uh, well, you, you can get lost in basically that. Um, if you want to limit yourself to the standard 128 square format, then well, just fitting everything in, of course, becomes the main challenge because you've barely got enough room for uh, the mains, for the naturals, for a center where everything moves together and maybe a couple of extra expansions somewhere in some form, right? So... Um, I've played on even... Factor. I've played even on the 
no hunters free for all abomination maps. <laughs> so oh, yeah. the word I could use to describe them, where there's four 256 by 256 maps like pasted together into this monstrosity. Um, that that those are crazy. <laughs> I'm not even sure how they do that. It must be like some weird exploit of the map system or whatever that, that they use to make those. To, to create those? No, that's just. Uh... It's just a standard size of map, like uh, 256 is the, the the highest number you can go, 256 squares, and 292 is the, the number in between you can pick, right? Um, I, think it's four course, those, I think it's four of those maps pasted together into one that's like oh, know, no, 512. Yeah, there, there's, there's a map like, well, maybe multiple maps where if four... Four player maps are basically put into the same frame on a giant uh, 256 square map, right? That kind of map. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, those extra large maps seemed but, fun uh, first at first, but when you're in the game for three hours, it's not any not fun anymore. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember playing on three hour game then, yeah. I remember playing on one, it was either a 4v4 or a, or a FFA, doesn't matter, and we, we, of course, we were kids and playing with infinite resources, so it was the big, big game hunters, like the biggest game hunters ever, and, and it's like, just, just, I couldn't, couldn't send my units fast enough, I didn't even care, because it was just a production nightmare. The so, other problem with this map, of course, and first, that many players on the map, and that many pre-placed resources and other units on a map and so on is of course so that they can actually max out right <laughs> then you can't produce any units anymore mm -hmm. um how does i was curious about this how does like map crediting work with blizzard and like the korean pro leagues so if you have a map that you know blizzard blizzard wants to put in their ladder you know of course you made it using blizzard's copyright and their game and stuff in a lot of ways but there's also bits of you in there so how does that like copyright and map crediting and blizzard and pro map stuff all work out what exactly do you mean by crediting um, um so like so if I... you get if um if if you make a map and can they just pick it up and put it in whatever league that they want without asking you um i guess or, they could, yes <laughs> why should do they, they normally do they do they normally ask or reach out if they want to use a map or they, contact they reach you out or... of, uh, to me yes and i of course did some updates on these old maps because well the maps like uh, roadkill and uh, eddie that were used for example those were like from 2012 2014 or something that was <clears throat> that was before um we had uh, a new sdm draft release with for example um pathfinding right pathfinding regions stuff mm -hmm. like that so um there was a lot to be fixed in that regard of course like I had procedures before where I did manual mining tests on the maps, very arduous work, <laughs> um, and then rearranged um, mineral formations that didn't mine properly, for example. I even got as far as actually, you know, 
do these little terrain edits that of course change the pathfinding layout of the map globally. Yeah, you change something here and changes something all over there on the other side of the map. It can get very annoying if you especially if you can't see what's going on, right? So I actually used that to balance my, my resource mining and other stuff even before um, the new STM draft came out, but you can imagine it wasn't really fun work to do. Um, and of course, now that it came out, um, I did a lot of those updates, but yeah. Um, now, yeah, the, those you... maps were in the, in the IC card map pack, of course, which is mm -hmm. where they, how they became basically where you picked them up, where Blizzard then also picked them up and they contacted me and asked about using them and yeah, they then got in. <laughs> to the so when you, release a, when you release a map, how do you get it out to the community, encourage people to uh, play it and then get it into leagues? Like how's the release process function? Well, mostly I just release it uh, on, on Brutal Maps Net, post a thread there, and <laughs> that's that's mostly it, I guess. I mean, sometimes I've, I've had, uh, promo I've promoted some maps on, on Team Liquid, but really that's that's all I've ever done. Um, I uh, I really didn't do that much to, to promote my maps. Exactly. And even without promotion, you, you've gotten them picked up in a lot of places. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, only took a few years, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess. Um, have you ever had a problem with someone um, like stealing a map or pretending to be you or like theft of, you know, that and theft of a map that you've made or something like that? Is that something that's happened? Um, that it, I mean, uh, no. I mean, we on Brutal Maps Net, we always had a policy of not protecting your maps, for example. Whereas in the, uh, for example, in the um, UMS scene, it's it's pretty common, I guess, to protect your maps or to corrupt it, to be more precise, so that others can't just open it. Um, we never done that because, well, how, how would you go about that? What would you gain, like? I posted it first on Brutal.net, like, what are you going to do? Pretend it's yours? Like, it's laughable, right? What would, how would you, right. how would you steal a map? It was mo mostly a concern in the pre-internet pre days, I think. Now, it's nowadays you can look it up who did it first. Yeah, or, well, if it's, if it's one of these old maps that basically circulated on, on Battle.net, Right, that you just shared on the Battle.net that didn't weren't put on any any website or something, then that might become an issue, of course, because anyone can edit it, delete your name from the credit, and put theirs in or something like that. Okay, but who knows? Um, I don't think that's ever been a problem with Melly Maps because well. So I I I, uh, I don't even think most most people are very aware of who made which map and like you know <laughs> that map who are the map makers behind it basically they just play the map and they know the map but don't even know who made it and 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't even matter that much. Do you always work alone? Uh, or do you have uh, some people you consult on maps? Or do you do you have some people who consult with you on maps? Well, of course, uh, the, uh, we we consult each other on Brookwarm.net. That's like public feedback. There's also some feedback sometimes behind the scenes. But, well, uh, as far as working alone, yeah, most of my maps I've made alone. I've used conce- concepts by other map makers. Uh, I've, I've made two, three, well, I think I could say three maps of other uh, of other map makers where I used their concept and made my own map out of it. Um, we had uh, some cooperative maps at some point at Bootwar Mapsnet. Some map makers also cooperate on maps. It, it has happened. Um, <laughs> Um uh, turns out I'm not very good at it, I guess, because, <laughs> well, I get very strong ideas about maps and then I like to put them into place and uh, it's, it's not easy, I guess, working with me then. And yeah, I mostly do my stuff alone. Also, um, I, when I start making, when I even start making a map, I already have a complete concept in mind usually like all the layout all the all the minute technical details like how where how do i want to place the resources and stuff like that and of course a deco theme that uh, i want to execute so well then i obviously i have to do it all myself because well getting that to someone else would be even more work and yeah do you have nightmares about scarab pathfinding oh why should i (laughs) i mean well the most broken it's not more broken than any other pathfinding in the game so (laughs) it's it's the same pathfinding so yeah it's it's of course i mean players complain about it but I think many players actually don't really understand how it works and that if they actually target uh, a target that Scarab can reach with nothing in between, then it will explode, it will kill something. Um, um, apart from that, well, the only th- very uh, thing about Reavers and Scarabs that is really, well, it's actually a pretty big concern about uh, in map making is uh, the 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 river uh, jam or river freeze bug or however you what want to call it. Um, the problem is that of course the scarab is a unit that which travels along normal unit path finding paths, and therefore the river also uses that to uh, determine its attack range. So ground traveling distance, not just uh, you know. The normal distance for attack ranges that other units use. So that can be a problem because, of course, uh, the heuristic for uh, ground distance can be very, very, very off in some some cases, uh, depending on the uh, on the um, uh, layout of the pathfinding regions on the map. Um, if there's if the river is in one region and the target is in another region and there's another region in between those, 
and the nodes of those regions are very far apart, even though those regions are actually uh, physically close together, then the reaver might think it's very far away and won't even fire a scarab or have to creep very close to the unit to fire the scarab. And that's, of course, a major problem and one of the bugs that uh, that's very hard to avoid and to fix in a map, but you should really do it because, well, it's obviously very game-breaking if it happens. And sometimes players do it on purpose. They put structures in such a way where they can retreat workers between them and cause... Uh, yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, of course, but, but that's, that's, of course, another thing. Um, uh, Something I, I want to ask... I mean, I mean what, what you need, all you need to defend a Scarab attack is to bring one unit in between the target and the Reaver that blocks the scarab from re uh, reaching the target right there. Mm -hmm. Multiple techniques, how you can achieve that, like just pulling all your workers will usually work because normally it's not the, the, the last worker in the queue that's been the target, right? Um, or like buildings that prevent the scarab from further going to the site or something will help too, of course, yes. But that's that's again that's not really a thing that you plan out as map maker. Like, okay, I make my map so you have to place one building there and one building there, and then the scarab cannot reach your workers. Ah, no, that's a level of detail that's left to the players, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so in the in bot world, we've kind of coalesced among the authors and people who've been into the stats side of it that probably among the maps that we use that circuit breaker is probably the most balanced overall between races and matchups and things like that and is very highly used for testing um what is your sort of opinion on among the different matchups what map is the most balanced because uh, this is a very frequent question that comes up in ai development of course we want the map that provides the most even balanced experience across the board as possible when we're comparing really fine AI details and adjustments. Um, so I'm curious on your input and your opinion on that. Well, um, it's of course a complicated question with no clear-cut answer, I guess, because balance is a very complicated topic, right? There's so much mm -hmm. that plays into it. Um, but I guess uh, players most players would agree and the statistics on the map would also agree that yeah circuit circuit breaker is very balanced at least probably the most balanced modern map that we have right now in the map pool for i mean that's the main reason why it's been been in there for so long i guess right um yeah we've noticed that you know Fighting spirit, despite its popularity, is kind of a good step down in balance equality. Um, yeah, I mean, it's still fairly good. What what has it's got some other said about? I mean, what has to be said about these maps, of course, is that they'd basically be ripe for an, some major updates right now, <laughs> but no one really seems to be interested in that. So, well, they are kind of buggy, and no one cares. I don't know. Um, What's balance? I mean, you can one one um, an easy way how you can make a 
perfectly racially balanced map is of course you make two starting locations. One got lots of resources, the other got no resources at all, at all right? Then you play 100 <laughs> games on it and statistically, well, every race will win about uh, the same amount, right? Depending on where by, by, by pure hazard they spawn. Um, and... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like so, um, uh, just looking at, at at statistics of a map and and and, and uh, matchup statistics doesn't really tell you a lot um, unless you also take into consideration like okay what what were those games what's about different starting location what about different positional setups right cross position versus vertical versus horizontal for example on circuit breakers which play out very differently, of course. Um... Yeah, it's like uh, uh, nine, out, nine out of 10 people enjoy a uh, gang robbery. So statistics are not always helpful. Yeah, um, there's the, the uh, circuit breakers definitely has some issues like, for example, take the top right main, as you may notice, the geyser there is uh, uh, offset to the left from the perfect top position that it's supposed to be. The reason being, of course, um, a problem with the uh, with the uh, pathfinding region layout that would otherwise lead to workers taking some weird diagonal path which would slow down mining. So, well, that was the way to fix it back then when no one really... Uh, knew about or cared about or you know when there were just weren't the tools to see pathfinding regions um nowadays well it's a very simple fix like you just change one little terrain or a cliff edge and uh that fixes it right you can put the geyser in the normal in the normal position um there's significant uh differences in mining rates from the natural geysers for example because, uh, for example, the top right, again, natural, has a very bad geyser position. There is actually near the bottom left main ramp, there is one of those uh, river uh, jams that I talked about that we even have already seen in uh, some professional games happen, like where river just wouldn't fire at a tank on the ramp. Uh, the ramps basically on the bottom, those are these old custom-made uh, inverted ramps, which are very, very bad. They um, have very random distribution of high and low ground on them. Uh, there are multiple spots where you can put a unit and it will basically go blind, like, you know, have no vision radius because it's on a small low ground spot, things like that. Um, those are the details, yeah, right, um, that I think should be fixed. But apart from that, yeah, from the basic layout, of course, it's uh, it's a standard um, four-player map with uh, lots of lots of uh, lots of expansions uh, that offers uh, good opportunities for every every race. So yeah, from that perspective, it's a very balanced map, yeah. The complicated questions. <laughs> <laughs> complicated answers, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we're good with those, you know. 
course, we're really into the technical side of stuff. And so we love the technical answers because uh, the stuff that you say gets applied and goes back into the bots and people start using it and thinking it over and optimizing. Do, do, do bots actually consider like, uh, for example, terrain levels and other terrain flags yes. on the yes. on the micro tile level and stuff like that? So well, the so good you, you ones already... do. The good ones, because yes, the good do. Ones do. So they yep. know exactly, okay, I need to place a marine right here and then it's on high ground. It cannot be seen from the low ground, for example. Or... Yes, some of them yes. can do that, yeah. Uh, they or can also they exploit to... the tree do the tree doodads as well. Only, yeah, yeah. Well, or cover providing tiles, technically speaking, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you can plus just place the tiles without the, the, the actual tree, then you have them. But that's not been done in any, or well, I've I've made a map like that, but it's not been really done a lot yet. Using resource, yeah. uh, using uh, terrain uh, to your advantage does not cost any resources. So I think both both yeah. authors uh, consider it a priority sometimes, as they should. All right, I have some kind of trivia questions for you. Uh, these uh, like. Uh, I'm curious how how do you approach balancing of island maps? There are uh, island maps are not as uh, not played as much as others, and there is a good reason for that. Sparkle actually is a bonus map being played in the Torch Up tournament um, that's basically starting right about now. So it's, we're always talking about island maps. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, what what would be your assessment from from a AI bot a viewpoint uh, about island maps? Do you have any significant experience there? I guess you have. Um, we have we have some, but the bots have to often be custom coded to use the features on Sparkle, especially the third gas. Uh, yeah, okay, requires that's, that's, pretty that's extensive custom, modification. It's custom features, but there's of course lots of old island maps, right? You could use these right. like Paradox or something. They, we do know they also lots of problems, but not in we the do current know, pool. Yeah, not we're not running in maps other than we haven't run island maps other than Sparkle. It's the only one we've run. Um, yeah, yeah it's, know, it's ancillary, run, yeah. right? And ancillary stuff is just. That you know, if you don't give uh, Zerg three gas, maybe they probably won't do very well versus the other two. But other than that, um, our knowledge of the balance on island maps is pretty limited because we haven't, we've only had Sparkle. Um, because the problem is in Botland is that you know three quarters of the mob bots aren't technically capable of even leaving their own island, and so you get like ninety minute timeouts versus other ones that you randomly pair with each other. So other than Sparkle and its use in specific tournaments, we haven't been able to include island maps in the normal pools. So that kind of explains the technical limitation why they haven't been there before. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, island maps have been used um, a lot very far back in the uh, competitive history of Brute War, of course. And they were then, well, completely phased out because they were deemed, um, well, mostly they were deemed unbalanced for Zerg because the Zerg had no, no chance in them for a very simple reason, of course. Uh, 
that the Zerg is very, very gas dependent and can't really do much on just one base, right? So that's your classical island maps. You had maps like, for example, Paradox or, okay, that actually has two geysers, but everyone gets them pretty much for free. So that's not a huge advantage for Zerg or not an advantage at all. Um, plus, it also offers uh, additional minerals, which Zerg can't really use on an island map, but Protoss can uh, even the better with like reavers and shuttles and carriers, which are all are very mineral heavy, right? So um, then we had other island maps like what's it called, Fall of Valhalla, for example, or Gorky Island, or later uh, Desert Fox. Uh, which was kind of a semi-island map, the last one I think that was ever considered in professional play, which were in fact imbalanced for Terran because, well, it's very easy to, to make a map imbalanced for Terran, just create a lot of high ground spots where you can put tanks to shell some other expansion or something like that, right? Um, so, well... Bottom line is, okay, everyone knew how to balance islands maps. Well, Protoss had an advantage on island maps, and it's pretty trivial to give uh, an edge to Tehran. The problem was with Zergs, so that's why it fell out of favor. And, well, right now, we at least are experimenting with a bit of a resurgence of island maps. Um, I've been doing it for a while now because I'm always looking out for things that, well, aren't commonly done. Uh, that, you know, open problems basically. And Island Maps is one of them. So I had some island concepts that I tried. And, well, yeah. The answer, of course, is, yeah, Zerg definitely needs more, uh, more bases, at least three geysers at the start of the game on their starting island and the other races probably need to some degree uh, something that delays their expanding like for example on on uh, on sparkle you have those those geysers with other unusual buildings on top of them that prevent other races from mining them until the building is destroyed or like one of the buildings was actually indestructible so only Zerg could mine from it at all, right? That's one of the ideas. And there are other ideas. Um, and the map that right now, uh, my map that won the ASL map contest, that's right now uh, going to be in the upcoming ASL, is actually an, well, a kind of an island set. It's technically a ground map. You have seen it, right? It's technically a ground map where uh, different starting locations are connected by ground paths, but players have to use island tactics to get around the map and to attack and stuff like that, because, well, there's only those small, small corridors and they have disruption webs on them and players just can't attack there, stuff like that. So, yeah, what's the bottom line? The bottom line is right now we are back in the stage of experimenting i guess and i wouldn't even say there's a clean cut answer and a fully developed meta game on island maps yet to draw any final conclu conclusions from 
I personally hope that, well, we'll get more maps and that we're at soon, hopefully, at some point, we'll actually find that magic sweet spot where island maps would actually work uh, for, all, for all three races. And then maybe we have some island maps in all tournament map pools, which, well, at least it would make things more... Uh, more diverse in a way, right? You you would have specific maps where where only specific tactics would be seen, and you would only see those tactics on those maps. So I guess that's that would be an interesting development for well, mostly for 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 viewers, of course. Players might hate it. I don't know, but yeah, that's my stance on island maps. And now we interrupt our regular programming. An announcement just went live that the pylon show that we mentioned will be actually today, according to US time. It will be tomorrow in Germany time, which I'm on. But I'd like, I, I wanted to share this with you. So, in uh, I think uh, five hours, if I'm not very much mistaken, we will be on the pylon show. So, be sure to watch Which that means... as well. Which means I feel very sorry for you because you won't have any sleep this night. <laughs> yes, that's correct. We are we are actually on the same time zone, so you you know my pain. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. But but it's it's Sunday tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> so uh, going back uh, to my uh, not very imaginative uh, trivia questions. Uh, I uh, did you ever design a map for a specific matchup, maybe for practicing that that uh, certain matchup? Like uh, uh, this is a PVT map or something? Just a stupid example. Um, no, not really. Um, there have been some maps like that made. Uh, you can certainly find them on the uh, Root Maps database, although there's no filter for specifically looking for them, so good luck searching, but um, no, um, because I don't know. Uh, there's, there's, there isn't really a place for this kind of map, I guess, who's playing it. Like, it, it would be a fun thing, but... Um, just just uh, was, I, like I, I said, a trivia question. Fun, but putting all the work into a map just to have like some fun games in one specific matchup, then what's the point, right? And well, what's the, that? What's the challenge? Because yeah, it's then if you only have to balance one matchup, that's actually pretty easy. Yes, I mean, the upside is you could do some crazy things that otherwise you probably couldn't because one race would just uh, draw the, the, the shortest draw there and wouldn't be able to play on the map, but um, no, not really. <laughs> you mentioned a database. Uh, what database are you referring to? Uh, Brute War Maps Net. It's, okay. uh, it's basically the, the biggest still existing uh database for melee maps that we have and yeah. it's it's basically where the foreign uh, the non-korean map scene has been meeting for well for the last couple of years couple of years well decades actually 
but since like I don't know, two thousand or something, I don't know. Um, no, not quite. But um, yeah, can find of lots lots of maps there. Yeah, it's Mine an awesome site. I can attest. <laughs> I've been there a bunch over the years looking at stuff. Um, well, we have some, I think, viewer question things which we can pose to you if you're good with yeah. that. Um, do you think that neutral command centers are um, imbalanced or give too much advantage to serve on a map if they were to be placed like in a map center? Um, well, I mean, good question. Um, we, of course, had the old map, um, Holy World, which had this feature. And there's this one pretty legendary, uh, it's actually a PVZ game on it, where I think it was Zero used it against uh, some Protoss, I don't remember, right? Uh, used uh, used infested Terran drops to really dismantle the Protoss. So it definitely can be very strong. Um, we now had um, another map by Jungle Terrain, who is another very awesome uh, foreign map maker uh, on ladder. It was uh, um, power bond, right? Which also had a neutral command center in the center, which I think he put there mostly for shiz and giggles. I don't know. I <laughs> don't think he really meant it to be a major feature. And I don't think it was. I mean, I saw some stream games on it where Zero did actually use it with some uh, effectivity. But apart from that, it, it definitely didn't. No one complained about balance there, right? Um, it's, of course, another interesting feature which you could uh, put on an island map. Um, for example, I made an island map, which I also submitted to the uh, map contest, which even got qualified for the second round, uh, called Flight Path, which also uses different, you know, new ideas for island maps. And one of them is that you have a neutral command center spawn at the, uh, it's a three-player player map, and there's, of course, one uh, one free spawn in every game, so I arrange it in a way that that spawn will have um, a neutral command center spawn on it. So yeah, that could be something that could help or give at least a small additional edge, uh, a small additional edge to uh, Zerg uh, on an island map. But um, I at this point. I don't really see that it is uh, absolutely game-breaking at a huge advantage um, with a little caveat, of course, that basically we don't have enough data points to say for sure because very few maps actually uh, use this. But um, the newest map that was uh, widely used that had this as a feature uh, didn't really uh, cause any problems with it. So I don't think so. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, it's interesting what, you know, when there's something unique like that on the map, how it gets used and what the effects of it are. Um, had a question from one of the AI bot developers about, um, you know, speaking from the perspective of an AI bot developer, 
how do you think bot authors should go about trying to exploit a uh, map's advantages? Well, um, particular if we particularly if we are talking about some of the older maps, there are certainly um, some weird things there with pathfinding and where you can drop units and stuff that you could potentially potentially exploit, for example, to get lurkers uh, or other units, but particularly lurkers in uh, in the North Poland's name main, for example. Um, what I mean is there are some maps which have little drop spots in between cliffs. Well, most maps have them somewhere, right? And some of them are big enough to um, to allow uh, hydralisks to be dropped in. And then, of course, you can move the hydra into a lurker and that makes its collision box become bigger. So then it got stuck on the terrain. The engine tries to get it unstuck and the lurker will move in some direction, oh. uh, which is usually determined by, you know, which is, I think it's something like, which is the closest uh, walkable, uh, closest pathfinding node of a walkable region, something like that. The direction is uh, pretty much uh, predetermined, however. And then you, the lurker would just move over the terrain into a main, for example. Like one one map where I have actually done this is, for example, on uh, Bloody Ridge on the uh, left side. Uh, there's a spot uh, between the left side, main and natural, between the cliffs where we can block two hydras in and then morph, uh, move, uh, morph them into lurkers. Or if you have burrow, you can even morph more of them because you know you can burrow them and stack them and then morph all all of them and then they will move into the main, for example. Like that would be one thing that I think I probably explo exploit pretty well mid with a lot of multitasking and stuff like that, right? Um, other things uh, that are like specific um, there's like you have uh, mentioned or we have talked about like bots that bots actually can determine things like uh, uh, terrain flags so things like terrain level uh, very precisely and then place their units very precisely on the right spots right that's definitely something that can be exploited and that can be exploited beyond what you would normally consider like not just hiding a tank behind a tree or lining your tanks up on a ramp just in a way where just on the uh, high ground and you can't really get a good position on them from the low ground or something like that but um, they are just, uh, let's, for example, there's um, the map uh, Dante's Peak, for example, which has some ramp tiles used for the low ground decoration, which has tiny little high ground spots on them. Um, 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 a, um, and I, and, and I playing on that map with Terran or with any other race basically could just place their uh, units, their ranged units ideally, I guess, just on top of those little spots and get free high ground advantage that way, for example. Like, 
something that a player couldn't really do because they'd have to click almost pixel perfectly with individual units on multiple little mm -hmm. spots, right? Definitely. Um, stuff like that could uh, is, uh, is something that I guess an AI, AI could very easily exploit and the player couldn't. A lot of the AI authors are, don't really have a playing background and don't often know a lot about strategy. You know, they come from academia or other places. So really only a few have actual playing experience at a decent level. We um, suck at StarCraft. Let's, <laughs> let's face it, we good. absolutely suck. I, I do too. So one of the things that comes up pretty often is, you know, how does a bot author pick, you know, not in terms of, you know, technical details or exploits, but like, how do they pick a strategy for, um, for a map? Um, or how do they use their bot's strengths on a map to get the most out of its features? Um, and uh, more curious about your, like, how you would approach something like that or advise a bot author to approach it. I don't know if I have really got any good advice on that because, well, I'm mostly a map maker. As a player, I also pretty uh, I suck pretty hard, I guess, because well, I don't really have time to play a lot, right? And if I play, then it's a lot of basic play testing on my own maps, and so um, I can't really give you uh details like strategy trees like if this happens you have to do that and stuff like that which other play, uh, good players definitely could so those are the guys you should ask about that i guess um as far as far as maps go i uh considerations are more more on a, on a general level like you know um does every race have a good opportunity to take a third base for example and um, the exact strategy, how they then achieve that, is of course something that players have to pick. And you can't really predict that even, uh, you can't really even predict that because, um, well, you <laughs> it's a new map and the, the, the metagame is, is constantly changing and, you know, uh, there's too many factors in it, I guess, that you could, accurately predict what players will really in the end make out of a map. Like you, you try to give even opportunities to everyone as good as you can. Uh, and as far as the layout you're working on allows and other considerations, and then it's to the players to figure it out and, you know, to, to finally determine balance. Um, so yeah, this, if you really want to answer to the question what you should go for, I'd ask a player. Okay. <laughs> That's a really good player, like not me. <laughs> Have you had the experience where you've made a map where you that you thought was balanced and a feature of it turned out to be incredibly unbalanced? <laughs> um, that was. Well, um... Um, well, of course, with every map I make, I try my best to get it as balanced as is possible. Again, with, of course, there are restrictions. If you work on some radical concepts that are far from the norm, of course, you have to well, concede some things, of course. Um, but, um, yeah, I try it. But, of course, um, 
things don't always turn out that well. Um, it's not always very surprising though, like just two pretty recent examples, like Trespass, you know, my latest letter map wasn't very popular. Uh, Tehran players didn't like it because it wasn't, was kind of balanced against them. And, you know, it wasn't a huge surprise that that happened because, you know, it, it, it's, it was a map or is a map with a floating main. So a main that's not against the, uh, the edge of the map and a floating natural. So, mm -hmm. you know, both bases, your both initial bases are very exposed to like utilisks and drops and well, anything that rains down on you from the air, I guess. So, um, yeah, that didn't really work out so well for Tehran. Again, I try to make it to 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 uh, mediate that as much as possible but in the end i guess i didn't quite get it right and uh it still turned out imbalanced well then there's another map of mine that's currently used in the uh, bsl and the bombastic star league which in case you don't know is uh, the uh, the biggest uh, non-korean tournament in brute war right now yeah, I've played, in the, an, I'm I've played a little in the bit involved. League of it a few times, so <laughs> the Chobu League side of it a few times. I'm hey, a little bit in, involved in BSR too. Uh, I help out with the development and uh, uh, for the Schnell project, the uh, Human versus AI League, there will be uh, some show matches. Uh, uh, it will feature Chobu League pre players versus AI. Anyway, back to the map. <laughs> yeah, sorry, just oh, wanted to interject. The map, of, the map of mine they are using is um, something else very unusual. It's a five-player map. Well, normally you have two-player, three-player, four-player maps used. And, well, for good reasons, basically, because it becomes very hard to fit anything more than that into the standard 128-square frame that you have to work with right so um i uh, decided at some point well it's worth experimenting with some five player maps because well that's another interesting challenge to figure out how it can be done what can be done you know what what layouts are even feasible for that and uh, this was the first one i actually ever made and the only one so far i finished um which uh was basically a modern remake of the very old uh, Korean map Gamma Go One, um, which you know the layout is: you have a main, you have a natural, and behind the natural you have another high ground with a um, um, with a mineral only base. Um, this is one of the layouts I made out to be feasible for five player maps because obviously if you have to put uh, five mains and naturals and additional bases on the perimeter of the map, then you have very limited space and you kind of have to squeeze in these clusters of three bases in some way. And that's that was basically the, the most basic layout that would allow that. That's how I came up with that. And now there's an obvious problem, of course, with that is that um, you have this high ground behind the natural and all the bases are very close together and your natural and mineral only are very close 
to the uh, to your opponent if they spawn on the close spawn, right? So that's another uh, that's another issue that is of course predictable, but uh, that I guess didn't really turn out in the favor of the map. Um, this is quintessence that you're talking about. Quintessence, right? Quintessence. Yeah, the name, of course. L. It it it's it means well quintessence of course the fifth element kind yeah. of yeah five player and you know i try to make the quintessential five player map in a way like the main nice. driving force behind that map was of course getting the layout right like getting the symmetry light right because it's not so easy to fit everything and make it symmetrical in that limited frame and waste as little space as possible right and i think i got that right and there may be some potential even in five player maps but i guess the way to go would be a different layout where at least like you have um, maybe the natural close to your uh, opponent or something so, so that at least you have equal opportunity then to go at each other's throat if you uh, spawn close to each other and not li like one player has their main exposed okay but the other has a giant high ground behind the natural which is probably worse so yeah on, on the other hand we haven't really seen any terrible games on the map but we haven't seen many games on it either because players generally ban it so yeah let's see how it goes but yeah it's, uh, if there are issues, they normally don't come completely unexpected because if you go for a certain layout, for a certain symmetry, for a certain kind of map, you generally know the risks and dangers associated with that, right? Because mm -hmm. there, there isn't much that hasn't completely hasn't never has never been done before. Um, you can kind of see like what you have to look out for. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, I guess. Yeah. You seem to follow the map make like uh, every um, map worth mentioning you know about. What do you mean? I do, I seem to know every map or? No, no, no. Yeah, I mean every tournament map, uh, more uh, so to speak. Well, I, I try to at least watch the games played on my own maps, but <laughs> by now <laughs> they're used so much that uh, it's even hard to do that constantly so from the last 20 years i guess do you have a favorite map and why is it plasma what? why is it plasma it's actually not plasma i mean plasma is is a pretty cool concept map but it's also very limited in many of the things it does um uh, but well, I mean, well, it's hard to pick one favorite map. Um, and, but uh, map that two maps that initially, well, initially, well, when I really started to become uh, serious about um, melee map making, were at the time like the one was Katrina because it was one of the very first um, very, very complex for player map layouts, basically, that weren't just cookie cutter, like uh, at that time you would have probably said uh, Lost Temple derivatives, right? Um, 
And the other, of course, is uh, Arkanoid, which was this, well, this is crazy map with lots of neutral buildings on them where, uh, well, yeah, where players <laughs> had to destroy all these buildings to get at each other. And, well, it was just very cool. Lots of new maps that came out at the time, and that was just very cool to watch players just, you know, tearing down these buildings and, you know, actually having a map where players could interact with the map itself instead of just with their opponent. That was a pretty neat idea at the time. And yeah, those are maps that uh, I would say inspired me a lot <laughs> at the time. Um, other maps that I like a lot, well, Gladiator is certainly in a very nice map. It's very standard, but yet pretty original, has a strong concept, has very good use of high and low ground. In the, in, the, in the concepts, which is something I like a lot because, well, that's pretty much one of the strong, uh, one of the main and strongest uh, game mechanics you have in Brutal, right? High and low ground. Uh, that's uh, the major, the major mechanic you have in almost every map, right? And if a map makes really good use of that, it's always good. Um, and compared to, for example, a map like Python, which is just huge flat ground in the middle, or like big game hunters where everything is one terrain level or Tau Cross, something like that. Um, Nowadays, we even have some triple level maps, which are kind of an interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, we, alway, we always had them, basically, but, you know, there's the concept of your map very often determines which tile set you have to use in Brute War, right? Because um, every tile set has a distinctive set of uh, terrain types in it. And, you know, um, for example, if you want to lose the vision blocking terrain, you have to go for um, for either jungle terrain or for, uh, for ice terrain or for ash terrain, right? If you have to, if you want to lose like cover providing tiles or doodads, like trees, stuff like that, you can go for jungle, you can go for badlands or for ice terrain, basically. And, you know, if you want to use three terrain levels, well, uh, classically, you could only use to some extent um, twilight terrain with high basilica terrain on it, like. There you get maps like Blue Storm, for example, or Return of the King. And uh, if you really want to use uh, three terrain levels to the full extent, you have to go space terrain because that's the only terrain that has buildable terrain types for uh, all three levels. Um, so, yeah, problem with that, of course, is to really use different terrain types, you also need ramps for all those terrain types. And ideally, ideally you need ramps in all directions and different angles uh, and so on. And you want them to look halfway decent. And that used to be um, um, a huge problem back then. There were some workarounds. And if you were willing to sacrifice some uh, aesthetic appeal of course you could come up with some wanky rams and just uh get it done right i i mean i made maps like oxide or 
um, Reap the Storm, for example, uh, that used three terrain levels quite a while back. And now, of course, we have uh, these no new uh, rams that were put in by Blizzard in patch 122 that added just a bunch of rams uh, for basically all important terrain types that are in the game. So, um, as I said, they are very buggy. You have to edit them a lot to actually be able to use them. But uh, what it now unsurprisingly has led to is that we're seeing a lot of uh, lots of uh, space maps with uh, use of three terrain levels. Like right now, uh, there's, I think, three of them were in the pre-selection for this ASL and two made it in. So yeah, mm -hmm. you're probably seeing a lot uh, or going, are going to see a lot more of them in the future. I hadn't realized how it's much not really the... completely new. It's but it's become easier, so people are making more of them now. I hadn't realized how much the map tile set affects the features that you can have. Um, we have a viewer question. Um, is it true that snow tile sets aren't used very much due to ice strain? Is that really why they're not used very much or is there some other not reason? ice terrain but snow terrain and high snow uh, terrain ice terrain, more so terrain on ice. Those are, uh, ice is ice is this blue frozen over stuff uh, the terrain types we're talking about are actually mostly uh snow and high snow because well the snow is white right it's very bright on the screen and apparently that's what uh, some professional players had problems with when they were staring at their screens for hours on end, uh, practicing those maps. So that's uh, that's one reason why we haven't really seen many ice maps uh, for a long time. Um, and if we are seeing ice maps, they usually don't use lots of snow terrain. Um, we are seeing some ice maps now, but even some snow terrain on it and them of course like uh, there was uh, a bit weird four player map a while back avalon uh then of course there was or is still on ladder now whiteout which of course uses mostly dirt terrain and right now uh, one of the very old uh ice maps um uh, hitchhiker is uh, going back into the asl which also uses lots of dirt terrain, though, and well, some some basically unavoidable, at least at the time, with map making techniques uh, employed at that time, unavoidable um, ice uh, snow terrain along the middle. But yeah, I guess that's the reason. Avalon is really... Avalon is a little bit too much, right? Yeah, just by looking at the thumbnail, even. At uh, the time, yeah, it's it's very late, right? Yeah, yeah, going on for a while. So, how no, no, I mean, uh, no, 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 I mean, Avalon, the map is a very white, Achso. uh, like, Ach, like very uh, white. Sorry, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, it's very white, yeah, it's, it's, it's can I mean, be, the, can the be stuff in the center. Straight. That's actual, the, the, the light blue stuff, that's actually ice terrain, right? Don't see that a lot though in maps because it's also not well. Not that easy to use, I guess. Um, or like, yeah. But Rams you... are another problem. 
the the rams on avalon don't look very good i guess um of course now we have also new rams for that but yeah you're also right uh, this is this has been uh, so far uh, already has been one of the longest episodes i think i we've okay. been going on for two and a half hours at least so oh, wow uh, yeah <laughs> it's, track of time. yeah it's 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 so uh, amazing how much we can talk about maps but we don't really have any any upper uh, bound here i mean we have the pylon show a little bit later but I think that's five hours of yeah, Istia, so that's that's like your problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I'm I'm not pressed either. Um, I mean, I I wanted to go swimming, but it's too late for that now anyway. So we can go on. Well, I think we're gonna have to have you back and talk more about map stuff another time because I don't think we could fit it all into one episode. <laughs> There's so many different questions and stuff and things to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I still have really some. Interesting. Yeah, I still got a list of questions, but we better split it up into another segment. Um, yeah, that like, that that uh, okay. what I would recommend. That. So, uh, if you don't mind, then let's oh, one, yes, maybe one question to close it off or something. Yeah, we are not in a hurry. Sure. Yeah. Um, so saw that Hitchhiker is coming back. Um, it's a, sort of a close um resemblance to the old monty hall map with the three different pathways um, which is really a really very interesting map feature um is, is that something that is that sort of map style with those three different paths um something you've thought about a lot in map making it's a very unique um setup for a style of map and it sort of spawned those two clients well, I mean, it's it's a pretty unique map with uh, in that it has three completely separate paths between players, I guess. But in general, uh, in, in map design, like if you have like th uh, four player maps and for the most part, three player maps, although, well, most three player maps we've seen actually have some peculiarity of one kind or another, of course, uh, like for example, Outsider or something like that, lots of maps like that, which aren't quite that standard. Um, even if you look at, uh, what's it called? Uh, Aztec, right? That has a lot of elements, of course, of a two-player map actually in it, which I will come to uh, in a moment. Uh, but generally, four and three-player maps follow a very straightforward design. You have your main, your natural, and then the more or less open middle where everything moves through, right? There can be different mm -hmm. pathways through the middle, but basically your middle is basically open and everything has to have access to the middle because of course, well, otherwise you couldn't play different positional matchups on it because everything kind of have to move in and out of the middle somehow or else get some problems so those uh those layouts are pretty straightforward and well two player maps you don't really want to do that because if you make a two player map with just open middle and some expansions on the side well you could have probably made it a four or three player map or something and would have had a way more interesting map actually than making it a two player map right so what you do with mm -hmm. two player maps in general is 
well, you, you really use the fact that you only have two starting locations to your advantage and try to create as many different and interesting paths around the map as you can. One common way to do this, of course, is to have the tight path, long path uh, distribution where you have like one very tight path between uh, the mains where uh, big armies can't move very well or especially in older maps where bigger units can't even move through at all, right? Like, for example, uh, Peaks of Back to have this or... Um, Blue Storm. Blue Storm, of course, is a good example. But also, if you look at Pathfinder, for example, you have these little ramps next to the uh, naturals, right? Where you can go down and through the low ground and then over the high ground and up the other small ramp. Um, and then you have, like... For bigger armies, you have to use wider paths around the map that are usually like kind of S-shaped. Or maybe they have, are two paths or one is to the left, one is to the right, something like that. And well, in, in extreme cases like Monty Hall or uh, Hitchhiker, of course, you can have completely separate paths. But that uh, then again is already pretty limiting, of, of course, on the map because it's almost as if you're... it's then it becomes almost as if you aren't playing one map, but if you're as if you are are playing three different maps simultaneously, right? But it's 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 definitely a very uh, very interesting thing that you can do, yeah. All right, uh, then uh, let's wrap up now. I still have like a couple a uh, couple of questions, but. Uh, Antiga is right. Uh, let's uh, have you back sometimes, uh, hopefully very soon, and um, let's have another episode. I hope hope you enjoyed the experience so far, and uh, we certainly did. Yes, thank okay, you very nice. much. Uh, Antiga was were, were fanboying out a little, is uh, I think. Yeah, maybe just a little. <laughs> and okay. you, come on, you you are the map man. You are the guy for maps. So. Mr. Mr. Map Man. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Um, let's let's continue uh, uh, this sometime soon. And uh, thanks for everyone who tuned in. And I think that's it for today. I'm ending the stream. See you next time. Take care, everyone. Yeah. Have a nice evening. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. If you did so on YouTube, please throw us a like and maybe a subscribe. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com mcdt. Shout out to my patrons so far, plus Nielsen and James Schubeck. Thanks again and goodbye.